Welcome to For the Record, our bi-weekly show in which we take one recently released album and take a deep dive into it. You can listen to us every other Thursday at 9.30 a.m. on BFF.fm or subscribe to the podcast at ForTheRecordPodcast.com. This week we're talking about Bob Mould's Beauty and Ruin. This is his 11th solo record and came out in June, and it starts on a somber note with the song Low Season. possible to talk about Bob Mould without giving a little bit of context for listeners who might not be familiar with him. Um, as you said, this is his 11th solo album, and before that, he was in the 90s alternative rock band Sugar, which was amazing, and before that, the seminal punk band Husker Du, who influenced everybody from the Pixies to Nirvana. Yeah, pretty much anyone who was serious about making hard music in the late 80s or 90s. Yep. And he's also an author. And if you haven't read his 2011 autobiography, See a Little Light, it's really worth reading, even if you're not a huge fan. It's just a great personal story. I mean, from a personal perspective, he's just had a really interesting life. And he's been sober for something like three decades. And he's now really active in the bear community. But he was kind of forced out of the closet in the mid-90s by a spin article that was not something he was expecting or okay with. And he also had a difficult childhood and... There's a lot going on in his life that just makes him a really interesting person. Yeah, he starts the album on a pretty interesting note because the song actually starts with kind of this period of kind of noisy and experimental kind of banging sounds and... Sounded like a hammer to me. Yeah, it sounds, yeah, almost industrial in the like old sense Mm -hmm. of like an Einstorzenday Neubotten or something, but pretty quickly then shifts gears into more of a pretty, as I said, a somber tone of really looking back and kind of regretting bad decisions and with this just acute sense of low season, the sun is going down, the cold is cut, the winter is coming and just just sort of acute sense of his own mortality. Yeah, I think it's also important to note that this album was written in the year after his father's death. And if you read the autobiography, you'll know that he had a really difficult relationship with his father who wasn't maybe the best dad. And so from a narrative perspective, this makes sense as a place to start where he's just not in a good place. It's a kind of a dark and depressing song. The, The album really starts in that difficult place with this song where it's the slowest song, I think, on the album, definitely the longest. And it's at a really dark place. It's winter is coming. The magic is going down the drain. Uh, he makes reference to his sobriety about getting high doesn't do it anymore. And it's not at all a welcoming intro to the album. But uh, thankfully, the album does have a, a good range of tempos and some, I think, even major key songs. And uh, we'll next 
hear one of those, which is the lead single, I Don't Know You Anymore. I really like about this album is that it brings together all of his past incarnations into one set of songs that coheres together and kind of brings together the musician that he is now and this song in particular could easily be a sugar song it reminds me of so much of so much of if I can't change your mind off of the sugar album copper blue which is probably my favorite track off that album yeah it's nice to harken back but I think it can be a double-edged sword that when you're have this huge career it's over 30 years and how do you not repeat yourself and i think he is fully aware of that and there is a subtext and i think in some cases an actual text in these songs of how do you come up with new things to say and it's he's he's in his 50s he's already sung so much yeah i mean in this song and in a lot of the songs there are references that are explicitly anachronistic like on this song for example he talks about recording on cassette tapes and it goes if i play back everything we said but all the words are out of phase and as the taper winds my head shedding but it can't be saved pushing record when i wanted to play and that's just like such great imagery and like cassette tapes you know it's like it sort of marks his age yeah, he was around in the 80s, the age of the single. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, and it's and it's great though that it's it, the super, you know, it's this the, this is the single, it's super catchy and poppy. It's uh, major key, but he's singing about a breakup and want, you know, trying to make sense of the past, singing about this old tech and it's also really nice this being the lead single was the, this video for this. He's singing about tape, but then the video is kind of playing on trying to package his music like an iPhone to try and get people to pay attention to it. And it's really funny. And I kind of wonder if it's the influence, the drummer on this album, and actually for the past few albums is John Worcester, who in addition to being a great drummer is also a hilarious comedian. And I wonder if sort of his influence to kind of make these videos that are coming out on Funny or Die because they're hilarious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one that's worth seeking out. Yeah, and but as I said, in addition to being funny, John Worcester is an amazing drummer, and I think he's a, he's a team player, and most of the time he's just playful but keeping it solid. But it is great that he does get one chance to really go nuts on the drum kit on this uh, next song we'll hear, Nemeses Are Laughing.
Yeah, that song really highlights, I think, some of the interesting elements of his songwriting style where he combines sort of darkness and light, where it's a really kind of dark down song, but then has this doo-doo-doos, kind of very pretty, kind of goofy singing almost. Also structurally, that it's not just verse, chorus, verse, chorus. I think he has a very pop songwriting sensibility, but structurally it's like this one was, I think, three verses in a row and then two choruses and then just this extended almost too long period of doo-doo-doo. I, yeah, I thought the doo-doo-doo was a little bit hokey and it, it made me, rem- it reminded me back of our first episode when we were talking about Hamilton Lighthouser and the shooby doo Up song. Um, but the fact that this song is so heavy and it utilizes what I think is halftime uh, beats I'm, I'm not my music theory isn't great but the the like every uh, emphasis on the every other beat that creates a song that's like a little a sound that's a little bit more heavy and I think that helps balance it out and makes it work yeah I think at his age he's kind of not afraid of being cheesy if he feels like it mm-hmm. like he doesn't have to answer to anyone and I think one thing that's so nice about it, it again is that it's it makes this space at the end of the song for John Worcester to do a drum solo and I'm really bummed I didn't get to see these guys play this live due to sickness but yeah um, that was my sickness by the way. yeah but no I was going to yeah. take full credit, but yeah, just I would have loved to see him play this because he's such an energetic performer and that this drum solo is so nuts. And I think that even though this is nominally the Bob Mould solo act, I think he's really starting to trust this lineup that he's now has John Worcester on drums, Jason Arducci on bass for the last couple of albums. Before that, the Copper Blue Tour. And I think we've, we have, I didn't catch this last show, but have seen him a few times. And I think each time it senses there's more trust and you know you see something like letting john worcester do this track or and then live jason arducci does amazing backing vocals and those two are such solid musicians and you know they're kind of in the background here and they're team players but they play together in a separate band split single with Britt daniel of spoon and then you know of course john worcester is the drummer for super chunk and the mountain goats and he backs a ton of other people he's just he's along with janet weiss he's probably one of the best rock drummers working today anyway so after so after the song there comes a song that's the centerpiece of the album and it's called the war that this is another catchy and up-tempo song and yet it's a catchy and up-tempo song about surviving about just getting through 
tough times and you know maybe this war metaphor i have to it's a little cheesy but if anyone's earned it it's bob mold and uh, i do like that sort of structurally this the only chorus in the song is just from the war like that's the chorus he repeats it a few times and then goes in the next verse and i like that really stripped down and just focusing on what's essential yeah i mean you say it's a catchy up-tempo song but i think that's appropriate because more than anything it's a song that's about catharsis and it's the one song on this album that's explicitly about his father and there's the line where he says you were the one who taught me most i carry your remains your emblem and your name and it's about going through this lifelong war with his past and coming out of it which is really what the whole album is about yeah it's pretty moving and it then it does slow down at the end and I, I like that sort of con- contemplative section at the end of the song where he just talks about there's broken dreams and a hole in the ground and it's just that that sense of just despair that's just like the, I'm worn down but then don't give up don't mm-hmm. give in and that he he's making that choice to carry on and that, that's all you can do is just keep going yeah and I think that, that that's what's really relatable about it is that anyone who's lived through a war either actual or metaphorical like that knows that the the line that really gets me is listen to my voice it's the only weapon I've kept from the war and it really communicates that feeling of being in a place where you think you have nothing left and everything you care about is gone but then you realize that your voice and who you are and the ability to tell your story is the thing that you take with you and that's the thing that matters i actually like really would really like to get a tattoo of just that lyric that listen to my voice it's the only weapon i've kept from the war so i sort of see this as part one of the centerpiece of the album and then part two is this next song which is called forgiveness how this song is a great showcase for really this delicate super melodic very pretty guitar and i appreciate how this is a guy who has a reputation for i think hard aggressive music but he really has this talent for again for pretty almost pop songwriting yeah this actually sounds a lot like his solo material from workbook which was mostly acoustic guitar And so this goes kind of back to what I was saying earlier, that he's sort of taking all of his past incarnations and bringing them into who he is now and integrating them into his current style. And so you have this that kind of sounds like workbook. And then there's some songs that could be sugar songs and then some like kid with a crooked face, which we didn't play that could be who screw do songs. And so he's really showing his range, too. And let's forget about the electronic period, though, because everyone should. I don't think he's forgotten about his electronic period. (laughs) And I, I know. And I do wonder whether 
that influence, I think there are a couple, it is mostly pretty straightforward rock sound on these songs, but there are a couple songs where we heard on that uh, beginning of first track. And then this other song, I don't think we're going to play fire in the city, but it opens and closes with these almost kind of like banging and sirens and almost an Mm -hmm. industrial sound. And so maybe that's some of that electronic influence, but I mean, I certainly think it's the production style has maybe carried over from that period as well. Could be. I did really, I think this is a moving song, another moving song as you would expect. And it has some great lyrics where I I like this lift you up before I fall. And it's sort of that notion of reciprocity. And then talking about, he keeps talking about keeping plants nurtured and really that sense. This is like this metaphor for the kind of hard work and, that you need to put into really sustaining and nurturing a relationship in the long term. Yeah, and it's those turns of phrases that I think make it more relatable where it's not just about his relationship with his father, but it could be about anyone in any relationship. And that's one thing that I really like about it. So we come out of these kind of heavy emotional songs into one that has more of a sense of humor about itself, and that's Hey Mr. Gray. love how tongue-in-cheek this song is there's actually a lyric that's life used to be so hard hey get off my yard so he's simultaneously acknowledging that he's in his 50s and he's now playing at what's kind of a young man's game of being a rock musician but at the same time he's kind of making fun of the kids you know the part that I really love is where he makes a reference to kids don't follow with probably the recognition that a decent amount of people out there listening might not even be old enough to get that that's a replacement reference. And then also the aspect that whereas the replacement song Kids Don't Follow is kind of a celebration of youth and like being iconoclastic and like kids aren't going to follow your orders and we're forging our own path, blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of a celebration of youth. The lyrics that Bob Mould uses are kids don't follow, kids don't lead, kids go hand in hand. And it's kind of this image of millennials as like they don't follow, they don't lead, like they don't know what the heck they're doing. Yeah, Maybe I'm too Pollyannish or I've read too many of the more positive, like, hey, these millennials are going to save us all kind of think pieces. But I came out with that there is a certain sense of, you know, optimism of, you know, the the kids are not just blindly following or leading, but it is more of a cooperative generation, he's hoping. And that, and I think that really comes down to at the end of the song, like he's been talking about all these sort of old people and just like cranky and need to get out of the way. And then at the end, he's just like, find the life that's right for you that he's almost welcoming to the millennials to the party it's like hey you guys get to pick how you're going to do things and if i'm cranky that's not that you don't need to listen to that if you don't want to (laughs) 
Yeah, okay, well, maybe I'm internalizing too much my own attitude, which is wanting to tell the kids to get off my lawn. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> but what I really love about the song, too, is that he's acknowledging that he's Mr. Gray and he's a quote-unquote old man. But then the song itself is this hard-charging rock song, and he does this killer guitar solo at the end. And, you know, if you've seen him perform live in the past few years, you know he's just balls to the wall, and he gets all sweaty, and his glasses get fogged up, and he's just, like, wailing on the guitar, and he has so much energy. energy. And and he may be in his 50s, but he's definitely not past his prime. Yeah, he, he looks pretty good for a guy who's 54. Yeah, absolutely. And so then we go from this to a couple songs that we'll have to skip over to the penultimate track, which is Let the Beauty Be. a song that starts i think a little cheesy but if you let it grow on you it gets deeper and i think a lot more moving uh although i think part of that cheesiness is that it's it features i think something that can be a little distracting about bob Moult's singing styles he sometimes just really almost over enunciates and it can be just like it kind of chops up the rhythm sometimes but it does also add some punch and i think this song calls for some punch because he's diving into these pretty deep existential questions maybe not such a deep examination of them, but really serious ideas of just how do you get through life? How do you find happiness in this world where it's just bad stuff is going to happen to you and then you're going to die? <laughs> yeah, I've kind of resisted talking about the narrative arc in this album too much because it's so similar to the last album we talked about, which was TV on the radio's Seeds. And that al album also told a story of loss and anger and then healing and moving forward into the future. And that's also the story that we have here. I really like how the album is bookended with these metaphors of a kite. And, you know, it starts with in low season, the lyric is kite so high, sing so low. But then in the last song, which we'll play next, he has the line, fly that kite till lightning stri strikes me to the ground. And it's about having healed and moving on to a better place. Yeah, I think compared to the TV on the radio album, I think that felt more kind of generic to me. And this one, precisely because it has the explicit references to his dad, feels more more concrete, more specific to him. It feels more personal. Mm -hmm. And and additionally, and, you know, artists or singers singing about the process of singing can be a little ridiculous. And in this last song, he is, you know, singing about having difficulty with inspiration and 
I think you can think about that lightning striking to the ground as sort of that artistic inspiration and how you just kind of have, sometimes you have to wait for it, even though it could also be being struck to the ground is, well, you, you get struck to the down and die. Uh, and it can be both those things. There's humor in this one, I think, that really takes the edge off where he's, you know, singing into a paper cone and then pounding on a box of wooden wires. And I just really appreciate how he's able to be a really serious, uh, answering these serious questions, but with a sense of humor, laughing about kind of the absurdity of being a musician. But I, I appreciate that he's not ang- he's not an angry young man, but you know, there's something to be said for maturity. And, and, you know, this is a guy who through a lot of his career was pretty angry and, you know, acknowledges that, especially in the autobiography about how he had to work through that anger. And it took him decades of just kind of like being stuck in the past and being weighed down by this baggage. And so it's really inspirational to see him kind of moving beyond that. Yes. So it's really good to see. I mean, I'm happy for him and the music is still really good. So with that, uh, we'll go out with that last song, Fix It. And thanks so much for listening. (laughs) 